Welcome to Glad Tidings this morning. We are so thrilled that you're here. My name is Scott, and I'm one of the staff, and we're going to give you a few seconds to shake hands, and when you hear the music, come on back. Go for it.
with us today we welcome you and um, you may not be used to our style of worship uh, but what you just experienced then was a message in tongues and interpretation and the Bible talks about that in uh, the New Testament that when we gather together as the people of God that we gather in Jesus name and Jesus is here through the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit and he speaks and he uses the gifts of the Spirit tongues, interpretation, prophecy, what have you. But this morning, what is more important than just the uh, exercising of the gifts of the Spirit is this. What did the message in tongues tell us? 
It reiterated exactly what we've been singing and the theme of this morning's worship. Great is the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I can tell you that in my life at times of difficulty, and I'm sure the same is true with you because we're not any different. It is encouraging. It is strengthening. It is hope that our God is greater than circumstances and situation, that he's higher than that. This past Sun, this past Thursday, I got a call from Gloria Fawcett that her husband Dalton had passed away. And most of you know that, but he died and um, he was 89 years old. And uh, she said he uh, had a little trouble getting out of the chair. He was coughing and she couldn't tell. And he got out of the chair and went to either get a cup, a glass of water or go to the washroom. She wasn't sure which. And he just collapsed on the floor and went into the presence of Jesus. 89 years old and we're sad and we grieve for glory in her family today. But I can tell you one thing. Dalton Fawcett is whole and in the presence of Jesus. Whole and in the presence of Jesus. That's the hope of the Christian church. That's the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're just going to focus just for a moment again, Pastor Scott, great is the Lord. And as you've been singing beautifully, I've been listening, you've been singing with abandonment. But one more time, let's declare the greatness of our God. The greatness of our God. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Great are you. Father, we give you praise and give you thanks today because you are great and your love for us is great. It knows no boundary. It knows no limit. And you showed that with the exhibition of your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you and praise you today. And Father, we lift up those today who are grieving and experiencing loss. We think of Gloria Fawcett and her family today. But Lord, that you would just fill them with your love and your comfort and your grace. And Father, we just pray today for others this morning. We pray for the Tyers family today. And Father, for others this morning who have gone and are going through grief with the loss of a loved one. But Father, there are other needs as well. And Lord, it is not lost on you that you know every need, you know every hurt, you know every person, you know every journey. And your promise is that you will 
walk in the midst of that with us. And so, Lord, we give you praise today. We give you thanks. And we bless you and thank you and ask all of this in one name only. Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. And in his name we pray this. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Beautiful morning. Here are our announcements for this coming week. and welcome to Glad Tidings. My name is Martha. If you're visiting with us for the first time, please take a moment to fill out the welcome card in the back of the chair in front of you. Bring that card with you to the new connections table in the foyer after church and we'll give you something as appreciation for joining us this morning. At this point in our service, the offering baskets are being passed through the aisles. If you're visiting with us, I want you to know that you are under zero obligation to give. We're just thrilled that you're here. If you came prepared to give, we have a number of different ways to do so, including debit and credit by the green wall in the foyer or on our website, gtsudbury.ca give. In a few weeks, we are hosting a newcomer's lunch for you to come and get to know us. If you haven't been to one yet, you can sign up at the info desk after service. It's week two of The Story. Resources are available to help you along in the journey. See the table in the foyer after service to pick something up. A number of churches are gathering together in the city to host a skeptics night at Laurentian University. This event is designed for people to ask their difficult questions and features guests from Power to Change and Ravi Zacharias Ministries. You can get information at the info desk after service. The fall is upon us. Just a reminder that our clothing swap is happening in the gym after morning service. Last week's topic in the story was on creation and the Garden of Eden. We are proud to announce that we are creating our own community garden on the property. If you'd like to know more, you can attend the meeting in two weeks after morning service. Thanks so much for being with us today. Kids Church is about to start. So parents, you can bring your kids to their classrooms. Pastor Todd is coming now to share week two of the story. Well, good morning again. I, uh, I'm listening to the hustle and bustle of uh, families in our uh, service this morning, and um, I kind of liken it uh, to a, a birthing room in a hospital. It's noisy, it's messy, but thank God it's full of life, don't you think? And so I know indeed, and uh, I know that um, a number of our parents are so thankful right now that it's time for our children to go to their program and learn uh, the story at their level. Uh, by the way, again this week, uh, we are just uh, working with our children uh, to make sure that uh, they don't all rush downstairs to the lower level um, and hurt somebody. So if you hear them up in the foyer during the sermon, don't worry about it. Uh, it's all good. There's lots of workers with them. And I think somebody, I think Mandy told me, uh, that last week uh, there were uh, 209 kids, or 209 people rather, including volunteers uh, in our children's ministry. So thank God, praise God, 
and uh, we are grateful and thankful. If you're visiting with us today, welcome again. We are in the story. Um, it is a 31-week journey. Um, we'll be taking a break at Christmas and at um, and at Christmas at sorry at Christmas and Easter um, to just sort of do what we do with Easter and, and uh, Christmas and Easter. But um, you can uh, so just so you know. Um, that you can purchase the story Bible. Now, a couple of things you need to know about this. First of all, normally at Glad Tidings, we use the uh, English Standard Version, which is the ESV. That's our kind of Bible translation that we use, that we have selected. But over the next 31 weeks, we're going to be using the NIV uh, because that's what the story is in. And if you purchase one of these books, um, you will find that there are some stories that are missing in it, and uh, the reason for that is because they're trying to build a continuity in the chronology of the story from beginning to the end. Uh, but this morning, actually, we're actually going to be looking at a text that's not in the story. By the way, uh, the other thing that I want you to know, if you are a new Christian and you've never read the Bible before, this is a really great way to do it. Um, and if you have been a Christian for a while or a long while, and it's been a while since you've actually read the Bible and read it through, this might be a great option for you just to sort of read it again. Um, but we're going to be looking at it, and so this morning we're going to be looking at chapter 2 of the story called God Builds a Nation. So will you stand with me, please? And uh, we are going to read Genesis chapter 12, uh, beginning at verse 1, and we're going to read all the way through. Uh, not all the way through, sorry. We're going to read to 15, 1 to 18, but... Um, uh, we'll be cutting a little bit out as well. Uh, by the way, for those of you that are interested, and I forgot to mention this early, that Dalton Fawcett's funeral um, will take place here at Glad Tidings on Saturday, uh, next Saturday. I think that's the 21st, right? Or the 22nd? Or whatever. Uh, next Saturday, and um, we'll be meeting here at 1 o'clock. I haven't heard from Gloria yet about visitation. And so um, if you're on our email blast, uh, you'll get an uh, email about that this week early this week as soon as we find out and if not you can call into the church by the way if you're not on our email blast um, let me encourage you to get there uh, I'm reading the blue and you're reading the white and this is what it says and the Lord God said to Abram now for those of you that are new uh, not that are new to the Bible Abraham and Abram are the same person he gets his name changed and the Lord said to Abram, go to your country, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. It's Haran or, or Haran, whichever one you want. And after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abra, Abra, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. And God took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. 
And Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? I'm sure somebody understood that. I kind of messed you up on Ur of the Chaldeans, didn't I? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer and a goat and a ram. He's three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abraham brought all of these to him, cut them in two, and arranged them, arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. And then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. 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 Thank you. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. Well done. Let's pray. Father, again, we pause to give you thanks and praise for your son, Jesus Christ. And for the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit that takes everything that you have done in Jesus and through Jesus and as Jesus. And you make it possible and available and applicable in our lives. And so we ask now that that same Holy Spirit would quicken us, that we would be able to have ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to comprehend. And particularly, as we go out into our lives, out into our marriages, our families, our dorms, our neighborhoods, our workplaces where we get our services and lord in the different areas where we recreate and whatever it is that we do in the hub of relationships that we are the center of that you would help us by your spirit to live out what it means to be fully devoted followers of jesus christ and to do this in a practical tangible and meaningful way we give you thanks and praise now in christ's name amen you may be seated now, if you um, weren't here last week, uh, we started week one, chapter one, and we talked about, as mentioned already, the garden and Adam and Eve, and that uh, actually we went from Genesis 1 to 11, which is a lot to take in, and so you can go on our website if you didn't get a chance uh, to hear that, and um, you can listen to last week. But we are looking at the story through five uh, different segments. First of all, we're talking about the story of the garden that we did last week, and today we start the story of Israel. And then following that, we'll talk about that'll lead us to the story of Jesus, of course, and then to the story of the church, and then finally to the new garden, which is the new Jerusalem in the book of Revelation. Now, one of the things that I said last week, and we need to keep in mind, is that when we look at the Bible, the Bible is basically divided into two pieces. I don't mean Old and New Testament, I mean this. That we look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, and we look at Genesis chapter 12 to Revelation chapter 22, verse 21, and everything that happens from Genesis chapter 12 to Revelation chapter 22, 22 verse 21, is God's undoing of what has been done in the first 11 chapters 
of the book of Genesis. And so today we are beginning to look now at the beginning of God's repair, of God's undoing of what has happened in those first 11 uh, chapters. And so we're looking at chapter 12 of Genesis. The story of Israel, the building, the making of a nation, but I think what would be better for us this morning is to look at not just the building of a nation, because that seems so far out there, is also the building of a family. The building of a family. And God's plan to undo everything that has happened in Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 11 begins with a man by the name of Abram or Abraham. And so Abraham is the person that God first chooses to move the upper story, his story, and the lower story, our story, to move those forward. Now, there are a number of things that we need to remember or know about this man, Abraham, other than the fact that he is a colossal figure in the story. First of all is this. We read in our text that God said to Abraham, he said to him, I want you to leave your home in southern Iraq or Ur of the Chaldees in ancient times, and I want you to go to a place that you will not know where you are going until you get there. Now, can you imagine your spouse saying to you, now, I want you to trust me, but we're moving. And we're going to a place that I don't know where it is, but when we get there, I'll know it. How would that go over with you? I think Ruth might feel that about Sudbury a little bit. But that takes some trust. That takes some courage. That takes some faith. Would we do it? Would I do it? Would you do it? Now, the second thing that, that happens, or we need to understand about Abraham, is when this happens, when God speaks to him, he is no less than 75 years of age. 75 years of age. Now, in another 10 to 15 years, he's going to father two children. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. And the other thing that we're told, so the other thing we're told is that he is married to a lady by the name of Sarai, or Sarah. Her name, too, will be changed. Now, the interesting thing about Sarah is this. So if Abraham is 75, that means that Sarah is no spring chicken. On top of that, Sarah has never had any children. She is infertile. She is barren. And to add insult to injury, not only is she never had any children, the truth is that she is past the time of being able to have children. You know what I mean. I love the way the King James says that she is past the flower of her age. Really. <laughs> Unbelievable. Now, when Abraham is told, and Sarah is told, that Abraham is going to be a father and Sarah is going to be a mother in her senior year, she's actually going to use her pension check to buy diapers. Well, Sarah, when she hears this, she's on the floor. She is laughing to kill herself. Like, how in the world is this ever going to happen? And that's why her offspring is going to be called Isaac. 
His name means laughter or mockery or he laughs. In other words, the kid is a joke. Is it any wonder? We read these words in Romans chapter 4. Paul says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. With a weakening in his faith, he, faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God. Now one of the themes that we are going to hear over and over again in the next 30 and 29 weeks is this. That God uses the most unlikely people to accomplish his purposes. God uses the most unlikely people to accomplish his purposes. I have a friend, um, his name is Tony Boone, and Tony was a part of uh, my coming to faith, and we were buddies, we all grew up together, and uh, myself and Dean Bercy, we both felt the call to ministry and went to Bible college, and so we were home on our, um, between our break and our first and second year of school, and um, Tony, we were all sitting around, and Tony says, you know, he said, God must have really been scraping the bottom of the barrel when he called two of you to pastoral ministry. God uses the most unlikely people to accomplish his purpose. But why did he choose Abraham to move the upper story and our lower story forward? The Bible tells us that because Abraham was a person of faith, and Hebrews tells us these words, Hebrews eleven eight, that by faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, and even though he did not know where he was going. But there's also this, there's also this. Now, Abraham, before God called him, was most, most likely an idol worshiper. In other words, Abraham would not have believed that there was only one true God, but he would believe that there were many gods and that he would have to learn about this one true God, the God of the story, the God of the Bible, the God of Jehovah or Yahweh. I was reading a little while ago, and it was interesting that one person made this observation. You know how Abraham is called to kill Isaac? Some of you know that story. The rest of us will learn about it as we go through. One of the reasons um, that Abraham, of course, was willing to do that is because of, because of his faithfulness and his trust and obedience to God. But the other reason this commentator suggested <clears throat> may be the fact that Abraham, in his past, where he came from, would have been used to such a thing as child sacrifice. But it is here that he begins to understand who God is and that how different this God is than all of the other gods that he has known in his past and in his background from where he has come from. This is a God who provides for us. We do not provide for him. 
This is a God, and I want to say this with some balance, this is a God who serves his people. This was unheard of in Abraham's background. This was something new, and Abraham becomes known as God's friend. And James, of course, chapter 2, verse 23, picks this up. The second thing we learn about Abraham is that Abraham is the father of a nation. He is the father of a family. It's actually a family that grows into a great nation, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, but we'll get to that later. But that brings us to our exact text that we read just a little bit ago, and that brings us to the covenant promises. And this is what we read earlier. And God said, I will make you a great nation, one. I will bless you, two. I will make your name great, three. And you will be a blessing, four. I will bless those who bless you, five. And I will curse those who curse you, six. And all the peoples on the earth, all the ethnes, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed through you, seven. Now, you would think, that with such great promises, that you would think that what comes next and what follows here would be filled with hope and would be pristine and would be somewhat of a smooth process. Nothing could be further from the truth. What follows is very earthy. It's very crass, messy, and complicated. And what we find in the covenant family of Abraham and Sarah is the covenant family in all its dysfunctional glory. I have a book in my library. I don't recommend that you read it. But it's by the uh, Canadian author Douglas Copeland. And Copeland, a number of years, wrote a book entitled this, All Families Are Psychotic. And I just spent five days with my family. And he's absolutely right. They're all crazy. And so am I. And so are you. And so is the covenant family. In spite of the manipulation and the jealousy and the infighting and the deception and the arguing and the strife and the tensions and the hatred and the misery, God brings about his covenant promises through a family, through a nation. We begin with Sarah. Sarah tries to manipulate and move the process along by giving Abraham her husband, their, her servant, Hagar. And Abraham and Hagar, they have a child, and his name is Ishmael. And then, of course, when the child comes along, Sarah is jealous, and she mistreats, and she abuses Hagar. And eventually, Sarah has her own child, Isaac. Isaac is born... And he marries a woman by the name of Rebekah. Twenty years. Isaac and Rebekah do not have 
children for 20 years. This is Abraham and Sarah all over again, Act 2. 20 years. The covenant family is about the promised seed. And there is no, there is so much infertility in the, the covenant family that it can't even get off the ground. But we look at the other branch of the family, Ishmael's family and his descendants, and there are no fertility problems. It's like a fertility clinic over there. Twelve sons, and Isaac and Rebekah, for 20 years, have no children one is the picture of fertility the other is the picture of infertility the unimpressiveness of the covenant family that's right the unimpressiveness of the covenant family compared to the fertility of the uncoveted covenanted line but isn't that how it works sometimes the kingdom of God. The people of God don't have a ghost of a chance. And then finally, finally it happens. After 20 years, and Rebecca gives birth to the twins, Isaac and Esau. And that story has the ring of insanity to it. It is a story laced with deceit, and dysfunction. And then Jacob, who was the covenanted son, marries not just one woman, but two Leah and Rachel. Now, Rachel, he loves more than Leah, but guess what? Rachel can't have children, and Leah. only got to think about it and there's babies coming well at the end of it all there are 12 sons the 12 sons of Jacob are the 12 sons of Israel the 12 tribes of Israel and there are ethical questions about polygamy and here we learn to distinguish between what the Bible states and what the Bible teaches. But what the Bible says is prescriptive and what the Bible says is descriptive. But the fact, the fact of God's faithfulness does not sanitize all the circumstances of the lower story. And just as in our lives, in your life, and in my life, the faithfulness of God in our lives does not sanitize the circumstances of our family story. We have to see that. That through all the slop, the seed is multiplying. That God is being faithful to his word and to his promise and to his people. Now, who would have guessed that a bizarre soap opera would proclaim the faithfulness of God? Somebody said, the chemistry of divine providence takes all the dysfunctionality and confusion of our doings 
and turns it into soil that produces the fruit of God's faithfulness. And then there's this. Now, you're not going to find this story that I'm going to talk about in a moment in this version of the story, but it is in the biblical text in Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, which we read a moment ago, is if you just advance from Abraham being 75 to 15 years later, 15 years later, he's 85 or, I mean, 95 or close in there. And like all of us, when you read the biblical text for the first time, if you've never, don't, you, you don't know what's going to happen, there's some suspense because Abraham is beginning to wonder, is this really going to happen? And he says to God, he says, you know what, we may want to think about moving along the process and, the process, and maybe you should take somebody who is not my biological heir and use them. And God comes to Abraham in a vision and he confirms the covenant. And that brings us to Genesis chapter 15 and I want to reread it for you. And I want you to follow the storyline because it's a profound point at the end. Genesis chapter 15 verse 5 and 6 and the Bible tells us that when he's 95 or close to 95, God brings Abraham outside. He speaks to him in a vision. He says, Abraham, I want, you to look up at the, I want you to look up at the stars in the sky, and I want you to count them if you can. And he says to him, Abraham, this is what your descendants are going to be like. They're going to be so great, you're not going to be able to count them. And then when we come to Genesis chapter 7, we get an additional promise where God says to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. The land. The holy land. Palestine. And we don't have time to get into it. It would be another 10 years before all this would be a reality. And notice then in Genesis 15, 8, the next line. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I am going to or I will gain possession of it? How can I know? How can I know? That's a great question, isn't it? I don't know about you, but it's one that I have asked at times. And then what happens next is so absolutely amazing. It is so absolutely profound and spectacular. You can hardly get your head and heart around it. Genesis 15, 9 and 11, And the Lord said to him, Bring a heifer, which is a bull, a goat and a ram. And I want you to bring a dove and I want you to bring a pigeon. And what I want you to do is I want you to slaughter the heifer and the goat and the lamb. And I want you to put half of them on one side and half of them on another. And I want you to take the pigeon and put it on one side and the dove on the other side. And I want you to create an aisle down between them. Now, what's being established here is a blood covenant. 
blood covenant. Tim Keller says that this is one historically and that this is, this is one of the ways in which in ancient times a covenant was put in place. And it was a binding contract. By doing this, God is acting out the curse of this blood covenant. What God is saying is this, and what a covenant says is this, it is the worst case scenario. God is saying, what if I do not keep this covenant, what has happened to these animals will happen to me if I break this covenant. That's intense. And then we read in Genesis 15. And when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. This is God coming down in that manifestation. And God walks between the pieces. Do we see what's happening here? God is saying, if I don't keep this covenant, if I don't build this family, if I don't build this nation, may this curse be upon me. And God is saying, if I do not keep this covenant, if I don't build this nation and this family, may my body be broken like these animals, and may my blood be poured out like the blood of these animals. You see where it's headed? Because that's exactly what's going to happen. Now, God is not finished testing Abraham. He is going to test Abraham by the willingness to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. And Abraham will obey, and he will do it. But God will rescue Isaac. 2,000 years later, in the same location, God would sacrifice his only son. But this time, there would be no one who would come to rescue And this is the God we serve. This is the God we worship. This is the God we believe. That God would honor his covenant with Abraham and that one day he would make, fulfill that covenant through his own son, Jesus Christ. And that covenant would be extend to me and you. What it says is this. I want you for a moment to think about your own personal life now. Your own life. Nobody else's, yours. And I think this is what 
that says to us. If God can build a nation and God can build a family and he makes that covenant on the premise that if I don't do it, if I don't build this nation, if I don't build this family, if I do not fulfill this covenant, then may it happen to my body what has happened to these animals. If God can be trusted to build a nation and to build a family, can we not trust him with our lives? Can we not trust him with our dysfunctional circumstances? Can we not trust him with our psychotic families? Because you see, we don't have to offer up sacrifices to our God because our God offered up the sacrifice for us. And that context, we don't provide for our God. Our God provides for us. And we're going to end there. I wanted to tell you something else, but we'll save it for another time. I want you to stand with me, if you will, and I'm going to ask the musicians to come. And Pastor Scott, that same song that we sang, Great is the Lord. And as they're coming and getting in place, I want you to just, in your personal space here in this room, or if you're watching online, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to think about that thing, that circumstance, that relationship, that situation, that need in our lives. Maybe it's something that only you know that not even your spouse or your closest friend knows. And yet again, maybe they do. but I want you to think about it. I want you to think about that prayer that you have been praying and that need that you have been assaulting heaven's gates over. That whatever it is that just breaks your heart when you think about it. If God can be trusted to build a nation and seal it with a covenant. Can we not trust him this morning? And here's what I want us to do. It's not complicated. I, we don't have time this morning to do an altar call, but I'd love to do that today. But we're going to do an altar call right in our seats. I'm going to ask you musicians just to sing, just quietly. And while they do, all around the room, those of you online, whatever your need is, whatever it is that came to your mind when I described it, I want you just to bring it to God. And I want you to just be willing 
let God speak to you and just to trust him with it, with that person, with that situation, with that need. Just to trust him. Pastor Scott. room, those that are watching online. Father, we are holding up to you needs, situations, circumstances that need your attention because in some ways our, the, those needs and circumstances, situations is taking all of our attention and all of our energy. But Father, today we're holding them up to you. Not that we need to remind you because you already know about them. You said that you'd never leave us nor forsake us, that you'd be in the journey. But Father, as sure as there is breath in our lungs, as sure as there is breath in our lungs, you're going to be faithful to us. Your plan may not be our plan, but you're going to bring about the ultimate and the best result because that's what you promised you'd do for your glory and for our benefit. And so it's on us today, Lord, to be reminded that we can trust you but the question is not if we can trust you. The question is, will I trust you? Will I have faith like Abraham to trust, to believe, to hope against all hope? Father, I pray this day in the name of Jesus that you would put within us that kind of faith, that kind of trust, that kind of confidence. So Lord, the question we leave this place with today is this. 
will I trust this, whatever this is, to God? Will I trust this to you? Father, I pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. A couple of things before you go. Uh, today is our clothing swap in the gym, of course, and everybody is welcome. I was in earlier, and it looks like some pretty nice stuff in there. Uh, I might have to beat you in.